Welcome to AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association with Chief Operating Officer Kyle Longton. Be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel. Enjoy the episode. Hi, and welcome to another episode of AFSPA Talks. As always, I'm Kyle Longton, and with me is... Hannah Wolfart. Hannah, today, AFSPA Talks Healthy Pregnancy. This has been a a topic that comes up quite often um, in some questions that I get from members, as well as some of our quality measures that we look at for the whole plan. One of those measures we've looked at is that for the past two years, the top reason a Foreign Service Benefit Plan member has been admitted to the hospital has been related to maternity. Um, And that for the first half of 2021, maternity and newborn admissions make up 47.6% of all admissions, almost half of all admissions. Um, and that's great. I, I think that's great so that it's it's not people going in because they're sick, but maybe to for, for delivery. But um, we've got a lot of programs out there that can help members. And we'll talk about some of those. But um, I'd like you to highlight, if you could, some of the details around our healthy pregnancy program that we offer to FSBP members. Definitely, Kyle. So once a member enrolls in the Healthy Pregnancy Program, they receive a Healthy Pregnancy Handbook, Guide to a Healthy Pregnancy, a Pregnancy Wedge Pillow, and a Ready, Set, Baby brochure. And after the baby is born, members will receive a What to Expect in the First Year book. Excellent. Yeah. So many of us have, have, have been familiar with What to Expect when you're expecting. It is the book and maybe even the movie that was out. Gosh, I don't know, a decade ago now. Um, but that first year, it's great to know what what's how to prepare when baby's coming, but what do you do once baby's here? So um, that is that is great. And our programs to support members um, through pregnancy, you know, the programs do not end once baby is born. We've got a, a number of programs and we also have expertise available and we're going to share some of that today. And I think that's a, a good segue to, to introduce our guest today. Um, who is Dr. Joanne Armstrong. Um, She's an MD and also has her master's in public health. And she is the chief medical officer for women's health and genomics at CVS Health. She's responsible for women's health and genomics policy, strategy, and clinical program design across all of CVS Health enterprise units. Dr. Armstrong has practiced clinical obstetrics and gynecology for more than 25 years And she is board certified in obstetrics and gynecology and has an additional training in epidemiology and, as I mentioned before, public health. She's going to take us through the entire process from preparing for pregnancy, preparing for conception, what happens during pregnancy, some of the challenges that come along, as well as what to expect post-delivery. And I'm, I'm delighted to have her here. Dr. Joanne Armstrong, welcome to ASPA Talks, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. Looking oh. forward to the discussion. Well, we are delighted to have an expert with us to discuss healthy pregnancy and delivery. And just in that vein, I want to start out with sort of a broad question, knowing that each person is different and each pregnancy is going to be different. Can you share with us some common elements of a healthy pregnancy? What What is the goal when we're looking at, at healthy pregnancy? So great question. Uh, Healthy pregnancy actually begins before pregnancy. It really starts with the intention of every uh, woman and family for, uh, you know, what they what they want to do from a reproductive perspective. Um, It's important to note that about half of the pregnancies in the U.S. are not planned. And by not planning, there's a lot that is lost. 
One of those things is just the timing of pregnancy, right? It's, it's good to plan pregnancies when you're emotionally ready, financially ready, and importantly, physically and physiologically ready. So not planning misses that opportunity. Um, the other thing that's important is pregnancies that come close together. Uh, that is not well spaced or not having optimal interconception uh, spacing can have some medical complications on their own. For example, uh, births can be, babies can be smaller. Um, uh, some women have increased rates of uh, preterm birth. The other thing that's really important in planning pregnancy is uh, women have on average about 10, 10% uh, of women have some chronic condition that they go into pregnancy with. And uh, this period is the time to really optimize that. So, and some of these things actually can get worse because the physiology of pregnancy can make them worse. Um, and, uh, and so they need to be optimized beforehand. You know, a few examples of that. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, yeah. So a few examples of that are, um, women, um, for example, women with chronic hypertension, there's some medications that are dangerous. Uh, to take during pregnancy because they can have effects on the development of the uh, of the baby, so you would want to change those medications before you could become pregnant. Um, for women who have uh, chronic depression, for example, or some other um, behavioral health uh, challenges, those medications also uh, may not be. Some of them may not be safe or better optimized in pregnancy. Um, in the case of diabetes, uh, where people, uh, women have pre-gestational diabetes, mm -hmm. very high levels of glucose. So in other words, diabetes that is not well managed has two, two important effects in pregnancy. One, it can increase the rate of um, miscarriage. And two, it can also influence the uh, development of the fetus and result in, um, in birth defects. So preconceptionally is the time to really get diabetes under control. And then there are a number of conditions um, that are similar, weight management, smoking cessation, et cetera. And so what steps, I mean, we, we've touched on it a little bit, but what, what role might a, a relationship with a, a primary care doctor or a regular relationship with an OBGYN play in, in optimizing um, oneself for, for, uh, in one situation for pregnancy? So one of the things that I um, really advocate it with my own patients is in every visit, just to ask this question. I think clinicians should ask it and women should also be thinking about it. Um, what are my reproductive intentions this year? Would I like to become pregnant? Whether you're going in for a sinus infection or a regular GYN exam, it's just a, it's just a question that we should ask ourselves and are we moving in the direction of health? If the answer, well, we should always move in the direction of health. But if we are particularly interested in planning pregnancy, we should have this in our head that um, you know many of uh, many of the uh, challenges that we face take a, a long time to sort of you know get control of, whether it's smoking cessation or you know completing vaccine series or um, having an, an, a past history of an abnormal Pap smear evaluated. So I advocate that patients should think. Hmm. what are my intentions this year? And am I really taking care of my intentions and clinicians should do the same thing. And then of course, depending on the answer to that, you know, one either, right. Thinks about what contraception uh, or family planning might sure. look like if you're not interested in becoming pregnant. And if one is interested in becoming pregnant, it's a question of when would I like to become pregnant? 
And what steps should I take uh, between sort of now and when I would ideally like to become pregnant? So that's really the starting point. It's a good sort of mental exercise for us to do all the time uh, anyway. And and once somebody thinks that they're pregnant, they, they have that first positive home test, you know, what is the, what is the next step they should take? Um, they've, they've, they've got the, the test in hand. Is it a call to the doctor? Is it a visit? What, what is the next step? So the next step really is to pause, um, you know, congratulate yourself, <laughs> think about, you know, just take these moments, right. Of sort of joy and expectation, um, visualizing, you know, what, what's next. I think that's really important because we often sort of get on this track where it's like you, you know, you just start right away thinking about, I've got a hundred things to do. And it's really important to, to pause, you know, center yourself in your own pregnancy and ask, what is it that I want? Think about that. So uh, some of the things, the choices that can come up are things like, well, what type of, um, what type of pregnancy care model am I interested in? Am I interested in midwifery-based care, for example? Am I, um, I, am I not interested in that? Do I have a good relationship with my OBGYN? Is this somebody who hears me, who has enough time for me? You know, not a judgment. Some practices are just really busy or they're structured in a way that they're just a lot of physicians and you're not sure that you have a relationship with anybody in the practice. So pause ask yourself, what is it? What are my intentions here? And um, do some work to sort of think about what model of care you want and what that provider would look like. And there are lots of ways to find information about that, right? You know, Dr. Wikipedia is, <laughs> is one, uh, right? But, um, you know, close friends and ask questions, like really pragmatic questions. How often do I see the same doctor? Do um, does this Does this practice, you know, what are the hours? Are they flexible enough that they fit my schedule? Um, did, um, you know, was there time spent to sort of listen to me, to hear me and my voice and what, what I want? Um, so there are this number of pragmatic things just to think through um, about what type of birth one wants. Was there something that happened in the last pregnancy that you really want to reflect on and say, you know, really wasn't the model for me? Um, I, I felt not listened to. I uh, felt rushed. Um, there was something about um, the hospital environment, you know, the way I and my baby were treated together, for example. I'm not saying this to be uh, judgmental in some way. I just want to elevate the issue that we have choices, often have choices. And by taking a few moments to sort of think, what is this experience that I want to have? Obviously, it, it must be safe. Um, but is it really centered on me and my choices? Does it fit the type of life that I have? Is there any flexibility in that schedule? Um, and do I have other past experiences that either I've had or perhaps my friends have had that might inform how I want to think about this? So that's the first step. Absolutely. And, and, and I think there sound, I appreciate you saying, take up, take a moment, pause and, and savor that that news, um, because sometimes we move right past that that moment um, and miss it, and we're making an appointment for the the first prenatal visit or or, or um, you know choosing a doctor if if we're in a new place, all those things. So um, I appreciate you you inserting that in there, and then going on to the the practical matters and and seeking um, input from your your friends and and others and reflecting on past experiences. 
So as we're thinking about the goal of a healthy pregnancy, a healthy delivery, and so forth, there are some complications that can arise during pregnancy. Um, and you've talked about ways to sort of optimize health going into pregnancy and preparing for pregnancy. Um, and you touched on some of the possible complications that can can arise. But I'm wondering if you can go a bit more in depth on some of the most common complications that arise during pregnancies and how they are identified and addressed. Yes, for sure. Um, and and I would say that, you know, complications arise in pregnancy. And as I noted, complications could have arisen in a prior pregnancy that have implications for this pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, or women, of course, we, we, you know, come in with our own chronic conditions, et cetera. So um, if, if this is not the first pregnancy uh, for patients, it's important, and they're not going to the same physician, it's important to get your medical records from the prior pregnancy so that that can be shared with your current obstetrician. It really helps the physician really understand, perhaps if there was a preterm birth, what was actually behind that, a complication in urgent cesarean delivery. Uh, There's nothing like having the exact records, maybe the lab values to understand um, what this is, uh, you know, what, what happened. So as we enter into prenatal care, the first visit that women have uh, it's really busy, right? There's a hit, there's a review of your past history. So again, coming in with a coordinated, you know, list of your medical problems, the the medications that you might be on, the pe- the records that you had from a past pregnancy will really help organize that information and actually give you a little more time with a physician to open up the space to talk about these other things that are not necessarily medical. Um, the first visit um, also goes over. Um, family and and, uh, genetic risk. These are particularly important to have these conversations um, with with a physician and determine whether there's uh, certain genetic testing that's recommended for you or genetic counseling. So again, bringing that in. Um, I'll also make a plug that November is the time that families, at least in the U.S., families uh, gather around a Thanksgiving table. It's multi-generational families. It's our time to ask about uh, genetic conditions that might run through families that actually may have implications in, you know, for your own personal health and for your, uh, for your uh, pregnancy. So um, then once we sort of have an understanding of, uh, of the, of, you know, women, um, pregnant people coming in for their past history, past obstetrical history, then we uh, sort of start walking through pregnancy and some of the problems that can happen in pregnancy. So some of the more common ones are um, what's called uh, gestational diabetes, and that is diabetes that happens because of the physiology of pregnancy, okay? Um, It's different than having it pre-gestational, and sometimes it's hard to um, unwind whether someone who presents with diabetes actually had it before their pregnancy or during pregnancy. But um, upwards of um, as many as 10% of pregnant women will develop um, diabetes, gestational diet, what's called gestational diabetes. Another really important uh, problem in pregnancy is called preeclampsia. And preeclampsia is this really weird form of hypertension that happens only in pregnant women. And it accelerates very quickly. And the treatment for it is delivery. It tends to happen in the later part of pregnancy. It occurs in about 4 to 8% of women. It is a major cause of preterm birth, low birth weight, and severe complications for, um, for mom and for the baby as well. 
Um, we know what the risk factors are for that, although half of the women don't have risk factors. It's really important uh, about preeclampsia that I really want to make a strong plug for is um, there is a very simple intervention in the form of low-dose aspirin um, that can lower the rate of this you know, really bad disease by as much as 30%. Wow. And um, yeah, and what's really important about it is, um, it, and low-dose aspirin is recommended for women who have what are called major risk factors, which include a past history of preeclampsia. So bring your records in, uh, uh, chronic hypertension, diabetes, um, connective tissue disorders, but lupus and things like that. But it's also, um, a, a risk factor is also um, defined as women who have what are called two moderate risk factors. And those are much more common. Advanced maternal age, uh, you know, that proud group that I was a member of as well. So women greater than 35 when they have their child. Women having a first baby. Uh, women who are obese. Uh, women who come from, who have particular stress, environmental stress, or even stress that's related to race, uh, women, African-American uh, women, uh, poor women, it's just, it, it's, you know, it's all under the bucket of stress. But women with two of those moderate risk factors are also at risk. And very often we don't appreciate, you know, that we're in those groups and there's literature that backs that up. So, um important here is to sort of understand this disease, talk to your physician about it. Um, Low-dose aspirin starts early in pregnancy, uh, as early as 12 weeks, uh, and it continues all the way through. So a really important, simple, and very safe intervention to lower the rate of an important disease uh, significantly. But it requires, you know, a discussion and awareness of this and a conversation with your physician. Um, the other thing that I would like, so we've talked about diabetes. We've talked about chronic hypertension and this mm -hmm. preeclampsia, this weird form. Um, I want to, because we are living in the age of COVID, I'd like to um, just take a moment, if it's okay, to talk about COVID and pregnancy. Please. Okay. So um, uh, pregnancy, the, the being pregnant itself is a high-risk group for severe uh, complications of COVID. The reason for that is because um, the physiology of pregnancy, you know, having basically a big uterus, like a watermelon <laughs> in your, your abdomen, makes it hard for us to breathe, right? We can't, our lung excursion mm -hmm. is decreased. And pregnancy is also a kind of a relatively immunocompromised state. When you think about it, this beautiful thing that is the physiology of birth, we have to kind of suppress a little bit of our immune system to grow a baby that's not actually antigenically immunologically like us. Um, and so that makes pregnant women more susceptible to severe in respiratory infections, particularly so COVID and flu. Um, so COVID and flu both are recommended for a vaccine um, uh, during uh, pregnancy. Only about 30% of women are vaccinated in pregnancy. Half of those come in as vaccinated preconceptionally. So again, the importance of preconception care and the importance of COVID is that half of our pregnancies are not planned. It is a risk factor for bad things to happen. And those bad things that can happen to pregnant women are they have much higher rates of hospitalization, the requirement for ICU admissions, requirement for, um, uh, for intubation and respiratory support and maternal death. 
and their babies also have a higher rate of adverse problems in pregnancy related to preterm birth, um, low birth weight, infants, et cetera. So um, really important uh, to get um, COVID vaccinated. It is recommended by every professional college that is devoted to the safety and the health of pregnant moms and their babies. Pediatricians you know, recommend this um, as well, and it is safe. There's now a lot of emerging data that it is safe in pregnancy. And and I so appreciate that because there were questions. I think I've I've heard people in my own life say, "Oh, I don't know if it's safe to while I'm trying to conceive or while I'm pregnant." And and I so appreciate having you here as an expert and confirming the data that's out there and sharing it that it is safe. And I think there's there are also other vaccines that you would recommend um, from a previous conversation we've had for those who are pregnant, and I think also those who would be around a, a newborn. Um, what are the the there's two particular vaccines that we talked about before, the, the flu and the Tdap. Is that right? That's right. So flu or seasonal flu um, uh, virus is, um, is, is a problem in pregnant women for the same reasons I just talked about, the physiology of pregnancy. So pregnant women have a, are a high-risk group for requiring hospitalization due to flu. So all pregnant women are recommended to get the flu vaccine um, during flu season. So, you know, beginning in October, um, it is safe. It's been, uh, we, that vaccine recommendation has been in place for many, many years in the U.S. Millions of women are vaccinated every year for flu and very safely. On average, though, only about 50% of women um, get vaccinated for flu. And some of the reasons for that are OBGYNs generally are not vaccinators in the way, you know, family docs are, uh, for example. So, um, if you're, you know what, you know, here for for um, for people who are listening to this, <clears throat> excuse me, um, ask about flu vaccine. If your physician does not vaccinate, there are lots of places to go. Um, CVS Health, you know, the the pharmacy counters are there. The minute clinics, um, there are flu clinics, you know, vaccine clinics, you know, all over the place. It's really important um, and very safe. The second vaccine recommendation is called Tdap, and it's um, for the the PN Tdap is for pertussis, which is whooping cough. Um, and whooping cough is another important infection that um, it, it, in pregnant women, but particularly their infants, it's one of the leading causes of viral hospitalizations for newborns. And we vaccinate moms because um, by vaccinating mom, you provide passive protection to babies. And this is true for flu, for, um, for pertussis, and the data is emerging that it is also true for COVID. So how does this work? A baby's immune system is not fully formed at birth. It is, you know, it develops over the next um, months. And so babies are susceptible to respiratory infections when they are born. Um, so a vaccinating mom, Actually, those antibodies that the mom antibodies are what protect us against uh, invading viruses. They get passed um, through the placenta to the mom, uh, to the baby rather, and then it protects the baby during this critical period of time where they are too young to be vaccinated, but it gives them a bubble of protection around them. So for these three vaccines, very important in pregnant women. 
Fantastic. And I'll, I'll just note for our listeners, all of those vaccines covered at 100% by Foreign Service Benefit Plan, as well as other federal plans. And, and as Dr. Armstrong noted, available at pharmacy counters, at, at minute clinics, and, and um, with your, your primary care physician, um, likely. So please seek those out. Now, Dr. Armstrong, before we get to, to discussion of delivery and, and postpartum care, which I do want to make sure we talk about, are there some things that carry stigma and are difficult? difficult to discuss when it comes to, to pregnancy? Great question. There, there are a number of conditions that are stigmatized um, during pregnancy, uh, for sure, uh, and then other things more broadly in, in women's life. Um, one of them is miscarriage. Um, miscarriage is common. It occurs in between 10 and 20% of all pregnancies. And most of what underlies miscarriage is not anything that's wrong with, with the person or pregnancy. You didn't do anything wrong. But when you think about what has to happen genetically and physiologically, you know, to, to develop a pregnancy and have it implant and grow, it's a little bit like gardening. I'm a, I'm a avid gardener and I plant, you know, 10 pea plants. I get seven. I can change the soil. I can do lots of things, but just sort of, you know, to get everything to align uh, properly, sometimes it doesn't work. The, the challenge for women in pregnancy is it's such a private moment to miscarry. Um, sometimes people around you don't know that you're pregnant. Uh, sometimes you've already shared the news with, with joyfulness, and it's very hard to, you know, to wind that back. Um, there's often a feeling of guilt that, you know, I did something wrong or there's something wrong with me or with us. That's uh, not true. Um, and then the other thing that's really hard is you go out in the world and you see moms and babies and baby carriages and things that are sold to us in stores and the reminders are just everywhere. So um, what's important uh, for miscarriage is the recognition that it is common, although sad, um, that um Generally, it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't uh, um, foretell anything wrong. Um, there are ways to evaluate for causes of what we call a recurrent miscarriage, so which is defined as two or more. So it's really important to, you know, to bring that up uh, both preconceptionally. So again, again, a plug to think about pregnancy planning and some of the tests that can be done um, to plan for that. And then from an emotional and behavioral health perspective. Um, to share generally when we have burdens, you know, sharing them helps lift them up off our shoulders. So um, it's important to find trusted people, um, you know, that care for you, that you care for, that you can talk about it. And um, if you need more than just a friend um, to really rely on behavioral health uh, resources, that's really important. And um, and that's and something we focused a lot on during during this this podcast this year. Um, are there other behavioral health issues that that can arise or or pose particular challenges during pregnancy? Yes. Um, so depression is, is certainly a common problem among all of us. Depression and anxiety. We're living in a very challenging world uh, right right now. Particularly, COVID has really uh, amplified that to the feelings of isolation you know, economic challenges that all of us are, are living through, educational challenges, you know, or kids learning on Zoom, it's just been just a mess. Um, and so, you know, the numbers bear out that, you know, the rates of depression and anxiety have increased. That's even above the baseline. 
Um, it is an area that is stigmatized um, during pregnancy, but particularly in the postpartum period, um, there is a phenomenon of postpartum blues, which is just a sadness that happens after delivery. Some of it is related to the the hormonal physiology of pregnancy, sure. you know, some of these hormones just kind of washing away. But the other thing is that's really not appreciated because, you know, the broad world messaging is everything is wonderful, you know, and it's all you should be unicorns happy. And yeah, you should be happy. But these little seven pound things are enormous challenges. They, they, you know, babies, they, they don't eat, you know, they don't, first of all, they don't come with a textbook. And most pregnancies are, you know, most of us are first-time parents. We all have to be first-time parents once. And um, we just don't know how to run these little, these little, <laughs> these little things. They, they eat, they, they're up all night. Um, we, we don't have any skill set to handle it. Um, many of us, the way we live now, we don't have extended families and friends around us. Mm-hmm. So it is extremely challenging. And, um, and there's questions about our competence. We are exhausted. Um, and it's just really hard. So, um, that is, that sort of describes, I would say the anxiety with all parents face, um, anxiety can cross into depression where you really are not, um, you're really having challenges meeting, um, the meeting the sort of the daily needs of life. Um, there are, um, certainly a lot of resources that are available for women. I would say the first thing, this is as it relates to stigma, same thing, raise your hand and ask for help. If somebody says, Hey, I'll make you some meals, accept it. You don't have to be a super person, superhero. Um, if somebody can come in and just take the baby for a few hours so that you can sort of take a shower or do something that just, you know, sit on a park bench, go to the store and, and look at the vegetable aisle, anything that brings you a sense of normalcy, structure, calm, um, say yes and ask, uh, you know, and ask again. If you're, if you're more than that, you're really having a challenge kind of getting out of bed, um, maybe bonding, understanding, you know, taking care of the needs of yourself um, or your, your baby, um, ask for help, call your physician. Um, it is really important that um, in the pregnancy delivery model, physicians, obstetricians now ask frequently about uh, behavioral health and postpartum depression. It should not be something that is stigmatized, you know, in 2021. So I'm so grateful for, for you covering sort of the, the broad um, range of issues that can arise and, and encouraging people to, to rely on their communities, whether it's faith communities, neighborhoods, family, whatever is available to them. And, and yes, let somebody come in and just hold the baby because you can, you can just walk away, have a break. Um, and so important. And I'll just note that, that FSBP offers a number of programs to support people facing any of these issues, um, including nurse care manager support, a healthy pregnancy program, um, able to, which is designed to help with major life events like the birth of a child, my strength and more. And I'll have some more information on that at the bottom of the podcast. Um, but Dr. Armstrong, we, you touched on this before, and I, I, I just want to come back to it quickly as we're talking about, um, delivery and postpartum care, as well as the prenatal experience, you mentioned sort of a, uh, you touched on a holistic approach and, and getting information up front, providing information to your doctor. Is there anything else besides providing those medical records, you know, making sure you've got the good relationship, anything else you would share, maybe uh, perhaps something more about how to, how to 
inform and then communicate your birth plan? Yeah. So, um, you know, as we said, it's, you know, pregnancy is not just something that happens to you. It's something that you actually have a say and in sort of what the design of that would look like. It's really important. So um, it really starts, as I said, with, with a pause to just ask, what does it actually mean for me? And, and then being kind of proactive about the elements that you would like that to be. It starts with who your provider is, a provider setting. You know, is that, uh, is that a midwife-based model? Is it a, a large group practice model? Um, you know, there are midwives that happen that, that in many practices, they integrate midwives and uh, obstetricians. There are, in many cases, birthing centers that are actually within the hospital itself. And that would be more sort of, I would say, patient-centered kind of environment. Um, so a birth plan starts with sort of what this looks like. Um, it addresses um, 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 it addresses a few things. So in the prenatal setting, it sort of helps you um, think through what those visits uh, are like, who you're meeting with, um, perhaps what you know what you um, what your intentions are with respect to say genetic testing. Do you want that or not? What does that mean? As you get closer to delivery, it also starts involving, I mean, the plan starts early, but what are your desires with respect to how that actual delivery takes place? So for, um, for women or who are having first-time births, presumably the goal of everybody is to have, a, the goal certainly for everybody is to have a safe birth um, and a vaginal delivery. So you can talk to, you know, do some reading, talk to your doctor about what can you do to help support a vaginal delivery. And some of that is actually related to the timing of your delivery, meaning does your physician like routinely induce everybody at 39 weeks? For example, a term mm -hmm. delivery is 39 weeks. If you were to go in and if your doctor's practice, the office practice is to induce everybody at 39 weeks, the challenge with that is it increases the rate of cesarean delivery because not everybody is inducible or ready to deliver at 39 weeks. Um, is there, um, you know, what does the, what does the call structure look like on the weekends? You know, are you going to, uh, is the physician who's going to be there, if you go into labor on Saturday or deep in the night on Tuesday, who is that physician there? Who is that person taking care of you? Have they seen your birth plan? Do they know actually something about you? Um, you can start thinking about, um, what type of anesthesia, you know, I might want or not want in pregnancy and in, in the delivery and uh, talk to the practice about what their attitude is um, with respect to that. Um, some practices have um, uh, pregnancy classes or group prenatal care. If that's interesting to you, you know, ask about it. Uh, a practice may not have group prenatal care, but they may have sort of support groups for pregnant patients where they take patients that are more or less at the same gestational age so that groups learn together. It's a very fun way. Um, you know, not all, uh, all centers do this, but it's an interesting and a fun way to meet other patients that are mostly around your gestational age. And, um, you know, and you can exchange information about what pregnancy is like. Many of these groups continue all the way through delivery and into early childhood. Um, so ask about that. Also ask about, um, you know, lactation services and breastfeeding intention, right? Are they, are, is the group doing anything particular to support that? 
or is it sort of passive and left to whatever happens in, you know, in the delivery room? And sometimes that's not the recipe for, um, for sustained uh, breastfeeding, which is really important. It helps build the immune system um, for a baby, uh, decreases, you know, ear infections, for example, increases the rate of bonding and, and closeness of families. It's not for everybody, but if it is for you, you want to make sure that the structure of how the support is delivered actually, uh, actually supports you. That's great. And, and I think, you know, as you, you mentioned, thinking toward and, and planning for whether it's, it's breastfeeding or if you, uh, family might be thinking about uh, formula and so forth. I think that's a good gateway for us to talk a little bit about postpartum care then for um, following, following delivery. What recommend, excuse me, what recommendations do you have for people following delivery? Um, so a few things. Um, one, there is an increasing um, appreciation that pregnancy is a window into future health for women. Um, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we just thought, you know, you deliver, that stage of life is over, and now you're back. And, you know, once you sort of have kids and raise them, you realize how ridiculous that is. You know, pregnancy <laughs> is this, it's not just an event. It is the it in many cases it's a pivotal event in our lives, both sort of you know from an emotional perspective, from a family uh, perspective, but also physiologically, from a physiologic perspective. You know our bodies change, um, and some of the things that happen in pregnancy actually have very important medical um, uh, implications for the rest of our lives. For example, um, we talked before about preeclampsia and diabetes. Uh, gestational diabetes. So preeclampsia, again, this very weird form of high blood pressure actually increases our lifetime risk of chronic hypertension by about fourfold and our lifetime risk of of major cardiovascular events, stroke, heart attack, about twofold. It is actually a major risk factor. You know, it carries with us as a risk factor for cardiovascular health for the rest of our lives. So we should think about that. It's important that after we deliver, that that is not just forgotten and put in a drawer because that 30-year-old will become forty or a 40-year-old, right? And when someone says, do you have cardiovascular risk factors? The answer, I, I myself have preeclampsia. The answer is yes, I do. So I am particularly careful about what my blood pressure is. I pay attention to my cholesterol because I know I carry uh, that risk factor with me personally. I also want to make a plug for making sure that after you deliver, you have a medical home, uh, meaning you're you're, uh, cared for either by your obstetrician gynecologist if they manage medical problems, or if not, uh, to a family medicine physician, internal medicine physician that can sort of carry the baton of chronic disease and prevention of chronic disease uh, going forward. Um, Second example would be uh, gestational diabetes. Because pregnant women generally are young. For many, many women, it's the first time that they enter the medical system. So when you find, when you are diagnosed with diabetes in pregnancy, you do ask the question, was this actually pre-gestational diabetes? Did it happen before you were pregnant? We just happened to capture it because we test for it in pregnancy. That's really important. Uh, and in fact, a, uh, you know, a fair percentage of people who have the di- who get diagnosed with gestational, meaning pregnancy-related diabetes, actually, when they're not pregnant, will continue to carry the diagnosis of diabetes. And that has, of course, all the implication of diabetes in our lives. So post-delivery, 
you know, pregnancy just doesn't end and we're done with it. All the new diagnoses that we might have accumulated carry forward. Um, Our chronic disease management carries forward. And we need to think about what the continuous, what continuous care um, looks like. So um, the plug is it's really important to keep appointments for, um, for postpartum visits. Many women don't, and particularly women who are having second babies and third babies because they think I've done this before, but it is an important missed opportunity. Uh, and then the other really important opportunity, it goes back to where we started our conversation about intention. Um, that and to give your baby every good thing, um, it's really good to space out pregnancies so that you have women have a chance to recover physiologically from a nutrition point of view, et cetera, and also that we get to plan our our next child so that we are in the place that we want to be, you know, from a medical perspective, financial perspective, employment, job, career perspective, all of those filters. So talking about uh, contraception family planning while you are pregnant. It generally um, will occur sometime in the third trimester uh, of pregnancy. And the reason why it's brought up there is because there are some forms of contraception that can be delivered, provided while you're actually in the hospital. So for example, if you wanted an IUD, that can be delivered, that can be provided right after you deliver. Um, So it's, you know, it's important to get that started um, early. And if you don't do that, uh, to make sure that you have a contraception plan uh, coming out of uh, pregnancy, again, if your intention is, uh, is not to become pregnant. So those are just some of the things to think about, of course, as it relates to um, behavioral health, uh, depression, um, um, you know, re-optimizing medications are really important after we deliver. Same thing with chronic hypertension. As I said, we might change some medications while you're pregnant uh, that we want to change back again once you are not uh, not pregnant. And then the other thing that's important for women um, to remember, again, it's it, preconception care is important, but there are some things that happen during pregnancy that we just can't um, address optimally when you are pregnant. So for example, women who have abnormal pap smears and might need biopsies of their cervix, we can't do it during pregnancy because of, uh, because of too complicated to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, those women need to come back immediately postpartum right, where we're able to fully evaluate, um, the, um, you know, these diseases. Good. Yeah. And the, the ongoing importance, as you noted, of though that regular relationship with a, a provider. Um, Dr. Armstrong, this has been a, a fantastic conversation, and I appreciate that you've covered everything from uh, planning and uh, for, for family planning and preconception planning and optimizing health to postpartum care um, following delivery. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that, that maybe we've missed or that you would like to add? There's one thing we missed, and uh, it's when we were talking about sort of the importance of, you know, what are the big problems in pregnancy? I realize I'm remissing sort of talking about preterm birth. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really important. It's, it's very common. Um, about 11% of uh, births are uh, preterm. They vary by a lot of risk factors, um, cultural backgrounds, racial backgrounds, social environmental backgrounds. Um, But preterm birth is defined as a delivery. Um, It's uh, actually less than 39 weeks is the age that we, that is considered full term. Less than 37 weeks has, um, is associated with some medical complications for babies. What's really important with preterm birth, and it, it, you know, it is one of the leading causes of 
um, kind of lifetime morbidity and challenges for babies. So it's it's something that carries forward. Um, Some causes of preterm birth are preventable. um, And that includes things like assessing for infections uh, that may occur, um, uh, something called a, a weakened cervix. Um, that may be treated with um, basically a stitch or a cerclage in the cervix. It's important for women who have a preterm birth. It's particularly important to, to follow up after you deliver to really do a deep dive with the physician about what caused it, um, preeclampsia, for example, and mm-hmm. to think, what can I do to optimize this in the preconception period for it to not happen again? And uh, if I have optimized everything uh, there, for example, smoking increases the risk of preterm birth, let's, let's address that, right? Um, once we've optimized everything we can do preconceptionally, it's very important that we um, come in early for care to see if there are things that we can do very early in pregnancy that can lower the risk. So just want to make sure everybody um, hears that because it's a common uh, problem and there are things that we can do to lower the risk or even eliminate the risk. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And and we're seeing some increase in that, including increases in um, C-section, cesarean uh, births um, among our own population. So thank you for covering that and and spending so much time you know, talking with us today um, and covering so many different subjects. So Dr. Dr. Joanne Armstrong of CVS Health, thank you again. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. FSBP members have access to the plan's Healthy Pregnancy Program at no cost. To learn more and enroll in the program, please call 855-282-6344. Additional information about the Pregnancy Program, Able to Coaching Programs, and more is available in the plan brochure and on our website at afspa.org FSBP. Thanks for joining us for this episode of AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show and tell your friends about it. We welcome your feedback on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Look for at AFSPA Cares. All information offered in this podcast is meant to be educational. Comments offered by the hosts or guests are not intended as medical advice. Please direct questions about your personal health needs to a provider. Should there be any discrepancy between information offered in this podcast and official plan documents for the Foreign Service Benefit Plan or other products offered by ASPA, the policy provisions will prevail. Special thanks as always to Hannah Wolfhart for producing, editing, and mixing this episode. We'll see you next time.